Hello. <laughs> How are you all? Good. Okay, so I didn't prepare very much for this because I wanted this to be from the bottom of my heart, and so it's probably going to be a little sporadic. Maybe it doesn't make all that much sense, but just know that I'm doing it out of love and just, I just can't wait to share. I'm super excited, and I have a lot of talking and not so many pictures. I made a post on Facebook and Instagram saying that I so much has happened to me in the last three months, and I just don't know how to put everything into words. I think this experience that I just had is something you just have to do yourself. I mean, I just, there's so much emotion, um, so many things I learned, people I met, um, so much support from home. Like, there were times where I struggled, of course, but in those times where I was okay and fine, I just felt the love of a church family, and I felt those prayers and those reminders from people around me. Just constantly, hey, I'm praying for you, or you're on my mind today. I hope you have a good day. Those were just, those just meant so much to me, and I wanted to thank you guys for that because I know how much support you guys gave. So before I left, I started writing, writing in this journal, and I tried to do my best to write in this every single day. I hate writing, so it was very hard for me to do. But I did I did mostly do it. If not every day, I tried to do it at least once a week, and I gave a quick summary. And I have an entry here of the day we finally made it to Cameroon, and so I'm going to read that. So February 8th, 2022. We made it to Cameroon, luggage and all, safely last night. I have not been more excited to get off a plane before. My legs and bottom were numb. The COVID... Had to leave, and my has it been a day, but I'll finish what I was saying. The COVID tests were kind of sketchy. They weren't very cleanly and not professional whatsoever. Getting our bags were super easy, and Ernest arrived almost right when we got out of the airport. Something to mention, there was a man who I assume got the restrooms mixed up because he was in the ladies' room. Oops. Anyways, today was pretty good and chill, and we drove around and did errands. This include getting a look at the cars at the garage, seeing the new school, and getting photos for mom to scan. Otherwise, we drove around a bunch. We got to meet the pastor of the church that burned down. His name is Anthony. He has three girls and a boy. He seemed very passionate and real about his faith. Many things he said were similar to things that Pastor Randy has preached on. I found it very comforting. We didn't go to the monkey sanctuary, which was kind of sad but hopefully I'll get to go some point while I'm here. I did not. <laughs> the evening was chill, and we even had running water to take showers. It was very refreshing. Dinner wasn't bad. We had fried plantain, courtesy of Ernest. Um, early morning tomorrow, we are heading to the farm. So just wanted to read that. So I was in Cameroon roughly from February the 7th to the 29th, so just short of three months. The 19th to the 29th is the time without my parents. Um, Where was I? I was in, obviously, the country, the continent of Africa, in the country of Cameroon, which is right there. And within Cameroon, I was mostly in the city Douala. This is where the school is. Um, Yaoundé is where I went to get all my paperwork done. And where this little sun is, that would be the farm. 
And up here is where a lot of the warfare is happening in Cameroon. So a lot of people from here are moving down to Douala, Yaoundé, and this area through here. Something like that. And it takes roughly five hours to get from one city to the next. So if I'm in Douala and I want to get to Yaoundé, it's, like you said, 78 miles or so. But it takes like five hours the same thing from here to the farm. That's just how bad the roads are and all the checkpoints and the speed bumps and the traffic. It just takes that long. Um, I had the lovely chance to ride by bus twice. Not a fun experience. Um, one of the times I got um, stopped by the police because they noticed that my visa was expired. So they detained us for about an hour and a half or so. Of course, they wanted money. They don't really tell you that, but they're, you know, they're kind of shuffling over to the side. Well, what should we ask them for? They asked for 35000 and Mommy Jockey, she just said, I only have two. This is what I have. This is all I'm going to give you. And she kind of handed it over, and they just took, looked at it, shook it, and handed it back. So most of the time with the police there, if you can just wait them out, they can't really do anything. They can't take you anywhere. They can't force you to pay. So pretty much throughout the whole time with the police, it's a game of patience. Who can wait the longest? So so what did I do there? I taught art. Um, I had a full schedule. So there they have um, several different tiers of school levels like we do in elementary, right? You have preschool, kindergarten, first twelfth. Well, here they have it a little differently. They have the daycare children that they have, and then they have early years one and early years two. That would be more like your preschool and kindergarten. And then you have your year one, two, three, four, five, and six. Okay, so I was, um, I would arrive at the school same time as most teachers did, so 7, 7.20, and I would start my classes at 8.45, and I would be teaching till 3 in the afternoon, just like all the other teachers. Um, I was teaching neurodiverse and neurotypical, so kids with autism and Down syndrome and special needs, as well as your typical children. I... Um, I taught some kids three times a week, some two, some once, depending on their needs. So it was a pretty full schedule. I didn't have a lot of break time, and it was go, go, go. Very tiring, but very um, very cool seeing the results I got in the end. Um, I was an encouragement to the staff. So many times the staff would come up to me, and they would just smile, or they'd come back to see me just because they just wanted to see me. Because um, being there is actually pretty surprising. You're like, well... It's just me. I'm not that great, but they're not there to see you. They're there to see the Jesus in you. And um, they're just amazed by seeing why you would come to this poor country when you have America. Everybody wants to go to America. America's great. We have everything. So I was a great encouragement to the staff while I was there. I got to have some good talks, spend some time with them, and just encourage them to keep doing a good job in their work. They work so hard all the time. Um... So many kids, um, the kids can be very unruly, sadly, uh, but um, they do work very hard all the time. And then I was a motivator to the students. Um, every morning I would walk in and the students would just run to me. They'd run with smiles, they'd run with hugs. 
um, yelling, Miss Madison, Miss Madison, I would be in my place downstairs teaching. I could hear the kids upstairs, Miss Madison's downstairs, she's teaching this, and what are we going to do today? We're going to be painting today, and I'm so excited, I can't wait to see Miss Madison. So um, it was an encouragement to the students. I was able to help them with their homework at the table after school, um, read to them, let them sit in my lap. Um, they just were very um, encouraged to them. So I was, like I said, I was teaching a full schedule. I was able to spend different weeks on different subjects. I taught them about different colors, secondary colors, how to mix colors to make other ones. We learned about different shapes and negative and positive space. Learned about composition and texture and some form. So we did a lot of projects and not a lot of time. And I can say from the exams I gave them in the end, they retained a lot. So they did very good. Um, Mr. Tame, the manager, was actually very excited to tell me that my class was probably the biggest hit class they've ever had before. Um, <laughs> he said that every, almost every day, you know, he'd come outside and he'd ask the kids, why are you so loud? What is going on? What is happening? And they would just yell, we're going to arts class. And so he said the enthusiasm they had for my class, he wished he had for every class. So um, even though I thought what I was doing so small, it was the biggest impact by far this school has had. And this is a video of just some kids. Um, I was not only able to teach art, but I was able to also teach songs and take care of kids. And so this is a video of us um, singing as well as doing some exam work. Building up the temple, building up the temple of the Lord. Brother, are you with me? Sister, are you with me? Building up the temple of the Lord. So high, you can't get over it. So low, you can't get under it. So wide, you can't get around it, but you gotta go through the door. One, two, go. That is the cameraman singing along. Okay, so we got to do some singing. Um, 
got to play around outside a lot. So lots of interactions outside of just um, art and um, just small things that make such a big, big impact in everyone's life. I cannot see this very well, so I'm going to come down here. And I don't think I can see it well from down here either, but we're going to try. Okay, so I wanted to talk a little bit about what neurotypical children are versus the neurodiverse children. Um, neurotypical are your normal or typical children, and Ray of Hope Academy has both normal children and neurodiverse children, so your autism, Down syndrome, all the kids on the spectrum. Um, it's the only school in Cameroon that has both types of children because I'm sure, as you re might remember from my parents' presentation, um, they deem that as witchcraft, and so these kids are shunned. They're not taken care of at home sometimes, and so the parents who are bringing their kids here are looking for something better than what their culture is giving them. So um, the kids here oftentimes um, are not paying to come to this school. This school is free for a lot of kids, um, which is very important. So Ray of Hope Academy is basically giving children free education. Education there, even public schools, are so pricey. They're not free. And so this school gives an opportunity to all kids to have an education, no matter how much they can pay. Um, so every activity that I did with any neurodiverse child had to be done one-on-one -on -one for a very specific reason. Um, one reason would be, I'm going to read a story. The kids absolutely love sensory things. Some of them do, and some of them really don't. One particular child loves to put paint in their mouth, um, as well as glue. <laughs> and so I have a funny story to share with you about that. Okay, so finally to today. It was very busy as Mondays and Thursdays will be, but I will be able to start the neurodiverse early as well as early years. So I finished in a timely manner. Mr. Tommy had me come see him, and I ran to get there as quickly as possible. He asked for my basic info, name, residence, education. Then he told me he wanted me to be a part of the WhatsApp staff group chat as well as the parents group chat. I ran back so I could make it to my next class. All went well, and I quickly got through year five as well. As I was going to start, one of the teachers placed Nathan, Jamil, and Kendra in the closable area of my new setup, as well as with all of my supplies. Bad idea. I was concerned because I saw the kids standing on chairs and I heard lots of banging on the walls. I looked in, scared um, to make sure that everything was well. Remember, I am mid-class, so I have a class that I'm currently teaching, and I'm hearing all this noise in this other area with these neurodiverse kids, and I know there's supplies in there, and I know they can stand on chairs. So I'm very concerned at this point. Um, um, I look over mid-class to see that Kendra is there with her tongue inside of the bottle of red paint. Um, I nearly died. <laughs> Gosh, it was downright terrifying. It all turned out fine, and she didn't swallow anything. But oh my goodness, this girl has no fine motor skill control at all. Like, she cannot hold a paintbrush for the life of her. But she somehow figured out how to pull the chair off of the table, figured out how to stand on the chair, stand on the table, reach up to grab the paint bottle, open the paint bottle, and then stick her tongue in it. So there's a will, there's a way. Um, <laughs> clearly she does not will to do art, but she will eat it. So um, 
that was just um so you constantly have to give attention to these kids um very one-on-one oriented i oftentimes had to have the teachers come and help me and we would do things one-on-one with each of the kids so that took a lot of time so i had roughly about 45 minutes to get through um maybe five to 12 kids roughly 45 minutes to do one-on-one an art project so very stressful um and lots of um, rush, 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 but definitely taking that time to just sit with them individually was very important. And the spectrum, like I said, has a variety of abilities and disabilities, so some can hold things and do very well in the arts, and others, like I said, they just can't even hold the brush for themselves. So um, definitely need that constant guidance to make sure they're staying proactive, but as well as safe. So what else did I do? I helped create awareness within the community about autism. So a lot of people in the Douala community have never heard of autism. We actually held a seminar and a walk to create awareness on Autism Awareness Day, which was April the 2nd. Um, A lot of the people who attended had never heard of autism, and so they were attending the seminar to learn more about it. But I created a design for the t-shirt, as you can see in that upper upper corner. I designed a t-shirt for them, and um, we all got to wear those t-shirts, and we walked all around the Douala community um, with music. We had people on roller skates, um, and we were just holding that banner and just holding signs and peacefully walking throughout the streets. Um, created a lot of tension. Um, went on the news there, so we were able to get quite a bit of awareness out there. So Ray of Hope Academy, like I said, it has both neurodiverse and neurotypical children. And right now, um, they're really doing their best to advertise the neurodiverse section because a lot of people still have not heard about the school. It's in a very um, back corner of, what do you call it, a community. So this new building that they just got is up more on a four-corner intersection, has a lot of traffic, and you can see that. I'm painting some some words, their motto, cultivating the minds of tomorrow today on the front of the new building there. And then that big picture is a picture of the group that was there for the walk. So how is the school creating support within the community? How are they providing funding? Um, Right now, a lot of their funding is coming here from the U.S., and that's actually a pretty big issue because that means Ernest has to come back and forth to the U.S. multiple times a year. Um, He's getting pretty old, so that's obviously not becoming an option anymore, especially since the visa process and with COVID, he can't. it's hard to get someone else to come for him. So right now, they're really working on trying to get support within Cameroon, something they should have done earlier as they're starting to admit Um, So they're really trying to get support from the churches, from large organizations. Um, One organization called Orange Foundation, they're um, a money-making organization. They donated a bunch of T-shirts. So they're trying to get the word out to um, big organizations to support this autism. Like I said, it's difficult because people still find autism very superstitious and not a disease. So... Um, what are the current needs? Obviously, the needs are always going to be like specialists, teachers, um, doctors, p- 
people who are just willing to volunteer. Those are always needs that they have. So people like you and me, you don't have to have any specific skill sets. Just being there as an extra helping hand to watch a kid as they paint, it's always a need. Um, And then also you have funding. They always need funding. Um, They're needing funding right now because they're building that new some classrooms in the back of their new building that they just got. Um, They had to halt some production because of funding issues. So um, scheduling is getting pretty tight because they want to move into this new building in September. So they're really trying to get the funding to finish that. And then prayer is the most important thing that they're needing right now. They need prayer for the wisdom for the leaders because they have so many decisions they're constantly making. um, So they need a lot of prayer. Um, The teachers need prayer for uh, motivation. So like I said, the staff is very hardworking. Um, Other parts of the staff, not so hardworking. um, That we would just pray for them to continue to have that motivation to know that they're making a change in these kids' life and that it's not for naught. Um, And then prayer for the kids. Like I said, some of the kids are pretty unruly. They need some Jesus in their life like we all do. Um, So just prayers for the kids that they would be um, more motivated to do their schoolwork, to learn, to be respectful to their teachers. Um, So please pray for them. Um, What did I learn? I definitely learned mostly that God is in control. I think that's something before I left that was a phrase that was thrown around a lot by my parents and like that song, God is in control. That one, yeah. Um, (laughs) I believed it. I did, but I I understood it, but I didn't understand it. And I think now I more fully understand that God is in control. Like I said, um, being detained by the police in Yaoundé just... You know, God is in control. What happens, what happens? I mean, what's the worst? I'm going to see Jesus in heaven, right? That's the best. (laughs) Um, Kids have a mind of their own. Like I said, kids sticking their tongues down paint bottles. Um, They just, they're going to do what they want to do. And the more you just try to control everything, the more frustrating it gets. And I've just, I've learned to just let it go and just move with it. Um, And then on the streets, the last day I was in the market before I left, um, Kelly was a really good friend of mine there, and I were walking down the street, and we were just minding our own business, right? And all of a sudden, these two motorcycles crash right in front of us and slide right toward us. And just ha- having to jump out of the way of that, and just God is so in control of all the events around us, you know. In any moment, we could be gone, you know. It's just. I mean, I was having trouble in Chicago trying to get to my next flight and the confusion there. Every situation, God is in control. If I had missed my flight, I would have been fine, okay? (laughs) Even though it just felt like the end of the world, it's okay. And I think that's really something I learned. I wanted to appreciate this this guy. His name is Diodone. I spent two months learning how to say that name. Um... He is a lot like Donovan in so many ways. It's not even funny. Okay, I, I we would go out to eat, and just like Donovan, I would sit down and I would order first. And I said, I'd like some fried rice and some chicken. And he said, I'll have the same, please. And that is exactly what Donovan does. He also likes to laze around on the couch a lot. I have a couple videos of him. 
and he's very camera shy, just like Donovan. Some of the phrases this dude says is just like Donovan. And so, who is Afa? Afa Dionne is Mommy Jockey's adopted son. Um, Mommy Jockey is the lady who, sorry, Jockey, Jockey, sorry, Jockey, who I call Mommy Jockey, um, was a mother to me in Africa. And she stayed next door. She took care of, she takes care of all the missions teams who come through. So, um, she took very well good care of me. And this is her son. And he kind of helped me out a lot. Um, so if I needed someone to go to the market, he would be willing to go with me. Or if I wanted him to carry water up the steps because I was tired that day, then he would carry me water up the steps. Um, he was just very helpful. He would go to the market real fast to grab something. He was just very sweet. Um, he was a good boy. So. Just like Donovan. Wink, wink. <laughs> uh, Glenn. This, this guy right here. He would always, he would always say, Hey, Miss Madison, pull up goggle. I want to look on goggle. Um, <laughs> so he, this, this dude, this one really tested my patience a lot. So very much. He is um, an integrated student who is neurodiverse, so he has autism of some sort. And um, he was just very rough to deal with. What, what he said was what went. There was no other way. It was either Glenn's way or the highway. Um, a lot of the times he'd never wanted to share. Well, here in this school, you shared. There was not enough to go around. So I had to learn... It took a few classes for me to learn how to deal with him. Sometimes he would end up crying or in fits. It wasn't fun at first, but like I said, God is in control, learning to just go with it, just go with the flow. So this dude always, always asked to have a picture of every art project. So here's just a few of the art projects he did. And he would say, Miss Madison, take a picture. I want a picture. Take it now. So I'd be, okay, hold on, Glenn. Get my camera out. Snap, snap, snap. Let me see. Let me see, Miss Madison. Hand him the camera, right? He looks at that picture. He zooms right in, right on his mouth where he's cheesing, and he just laughs. Just laughs so hard. He's like, take another one, Miss Madison. Take another. So I have, I've had to delete so many. But um, that's Glenn. And like I said, he tested my patience. Um, he helped me learn that God is in control. So... He did. Um, I have a few more stories I wanted to read that are just funny before I played my last video. Like I said, I have so many things I want to share. I just, at this point, I'm not sure how to share them. <laughs> so I'm just, I feel like the best way to do this is to just read some things out of my journal that were just there in the moment. Um, like I said, these don't really have any order, but these are just things that are kind of funny. Maybe some things that held some impact in my life. Um, so this is the day that mom and dad left me. Um, very hard day. <laughs> they didn't leave me, okay? It was my choice to stay. They didn't force me to stay. But like, in a sense, it does kind of feel like they're leaving you, you know? <laughs> they didn't do that. My choice. But, okay. February 18th. Today is the day that mom and dad leave me in Africa. I've done my best to not dwell on it and not cry. I hope I continue in the same manner, but I can't promise myself. We all went to the morning celebration. 
There was this one little girl that kept touching and hanging all over me. She has special needs, and I'm being honest and saying I find her a bit annoying. <laughs> Iris, yes. We finished the celebration. The kids went to class. Then Mr. Atame, some of the teachers, and us had a meeting to talk about the gifts we brought and the work we had accomplished. At the end, I was singled out, and they were talking about my stay here. And for the third time, someone mentioned to me that I would get proposed to. I guess it must be very common, but all I can do is laugh. People just come out of nowhere and propose. <laughs> I did have a lot of people in the markets ask, are you married? Is this your husband? Are you single? Can I be your boyfriend? I had that a lot. And if I'm being 100% honest, it really messed with my self-esteem. And not in the way you would think. It actually made me feel less about myself because... Sometimes it just feels like they're asking because you're white. There's not really anything special about you other than the fact that you're white. Um, and so that really messed with my self-esteem. But, you know, we're learning that God loves me no matter whether I'm white or black. And it doesn't matter what I look like or what I sound like or my capabilities. I am who I am, and he loves me because of that. So... Soon we left to get everyone tested for COVID. It was a fairly lengthy drive in the car with no air conditioning. We were crowded into the car, and we had to make a stop to get Renee and Donovan's traditional clothing. We then went to the pasta place for lunch, which was super yummy. I get to have all the leftovers. <laughs> then we went to Carafood to get a broom, sponges, and a bucket. But Mom all of a sudden asked what food I was needing, and it threw me off guard, and my mind went blank. She got confused as to my reaction because I started to get emotional because obviously I was reminded they were about to leave. Then her head started to hurt, so basically we were standing in the middle of the store staring at the floor as the world went on around us. <laughs> I was told to get what I needed, so I stormed around the store to quickly gather things so we could get out and go the whole time trying to keep back tears. I got to the register and went to pay, but the lady was mumbling and I couldn't understand. The people there mumble. And it's so annoying. So, so annoying. So I came back to America, and I can hear you all very clearly. And it's such a blessing. So thank you for not mumbling. <laughs> thank you very much. Um, uh, Dad found the number. I paid and stormed out the door to the car and sat down to find the brakes. We're overheated, and we would need to walk. The day was just going from bad to worse. We made the long, awkward trek uh, back to the apartment. Um and my temper had finally cooled enough to apologize. I just felt so overwhelmed with so many emotions. Donovan had the bad sense to call it pouting. <laughs> that boy doesn't know anything about emotions. The poor girl that he marries. <laughs> the, the tailor came soon after, and everyone got their new clothes. I was very excited to see that the clothes we had brought had been turned into something so beautiful. This is one of them that she made all of the clothes that I will be wearing in the future, African clothes she did make. So she did a wonderful job. Um, I was very excited to see the clothes she had bought had turned into something so beautiful. I finally got my turn to be measured for one of the dresses she measured from my shoulder way down to my cleavage and asked if it was okay. I quickly smiled and pulled the tape up over my bust. How we laughed. Mom explained to her that Papa says no. <laughs> I ignored, 
Everyone, as they finished packing and left to use the restroom, I went back to the living room just as Dad went out the door, yelling at me to lock up before I headed down. As I turned the key in the door, it hit me that they were actually going. They weren't going to be coming home with me. I wouldn't see them going about their day as I did mine. Tears came to my eyes, but I quickly blinked them away as I ran down the steps. There was no time to cry. I would not cry. We drove to the testing center to pick up the results, all negative, and then we went to the airport. I was able to get on and sneak through a passport check at the luggage line. There were several other white people there, which made me excited. It was finally our turn to check luggage, which took a while. The wait seemed forever, and then it was over all too soon. We stopped by the hall leading to security. This was it. It was time to say goodbye. I looked at each in turn and had to force myself to move. I embraced Mom first. My throat became tight as the tears began to flow. She whispered to me several things, but I couldn't hear her. I was so overcome. I then went to Dad. He hugged me hard. I didn't want to let go. I gave Donovan a hug. He promised to nag Sierra to talk to me and to continue to have them send me photos of the scavenger hunt. I gave Renee a hug, and she said words of encouragement, and she said, Be strong and of good courage. Donovan grabbed another hug, and I gave Mom and Dad another quick one. I was full-on crying, and I had a tightness in my chest as if someone was squeezing my heart. Many people were staring, but I didn't care. I turned around, and my feet moved. Every ten steps, I turned around to see them one last time before they were gone. Through the doors, past the guards, by the shops, and then they were gone. I quickly walked across the road, down the steps, past the men and boys waiting to bother someone to the the car where Fawn and Ebenezer had been waiting. I had convinced myself to stop crying. They asked how it went, and I said, fine. We got into the car. As we drove, tears started to drop again. My throat became tense. I felt so alone. Different and not ready to go forward. The drive took a very long time. We finally made it back, and I flew upstairs. I was finally alone. I let it all out. My heart, the weight had consumed it, came pouring down my face. I wept with a great sadness I had never felt before. I finally cried myself out. Jacobed came up to see if I was okay, and then she invited me to eat dinner. It was noodles with a chicken sauce. I couldn't eat much. Mary, Abigail, and Dante, Olive, and Afa were all curious about America and the food we had there. I told them all about it and more. I finally decided that it was time to head up, and I bartered art lessons for them to help me with my laundry. It was very quickly taken. I came back upstairs and started to move rooms, but I ended up finding the gift that Mom had left for me. She wrote little notes for every day that I'm gone, just like Sierra did. I thought I had cried my fill, but I had to pause and let some more out. <laughs> I wasn't expecting to find that. I couldn't believe I had missed it previously. I missed, um, um, I finished moving rooms and then took a shower. Thankfully, the water was working. I also didn't lose electricity that day either. So that was an emotional day. And I have one last video in a little bit. I feel like that will maybe clear up some confusion as to why this was so hard. I feel like maybe this was harder for me than some people. And I think this the video that I show later will explain that. Um, another funny story. Oh, sorry. <laughs> Let me read a funny story now. <laughs> I hope this isn't boring. Okay. Okay, maybe this isn't funny. This is something more, um, <laughs> um, an interaction with Ruth, which is one of the girls who stayed at the house next door. Um, just an observation and just, yeah. 
So this was uh, Thursday, March 10th of 2022. And I was cut off and I had to leave. I don't remember what I was going to say. I was able to get Ruth and Kelly to stay the night as well. I made hamburgers and french fries out of the two kilos of meat that I had bought. Ugh, it was nasty, but I did it anyway. And oh my goodness, it was so yummy. Um, We chatted for a while, ironed, and I got ready for church. Ruth seems to be the only one uh, uh, with a personal relationship with Jesus, and yet she has yet to go to church. I asked her about it, and she said that we could praise Jesus no matter where we are. I agreed, but I told her that God commands us to fellowship at church, and she just shrugged her shoulders. I told her I wanted her to come, but that I wouldn't make a decision for her. On Sunday, I again was the eldest going to church. We hopped on some motorcycles and headed out. Um, just, it's just, um, the faith there is just very black and white. There's not a lot of in-between. And Ruth was just seemed a very in-between person, not really fully committing herself to Jesus, but, you know, knowing and proclaiming a faith. And I, like I like you say all the time, we can't pronounce someone saved and unsaved. That is a one-on-one with Jesus thing. But just looking at the people around me and seeing how black and white some of these relationships are, um, I'm thankful for it. There's there's not a lot of faces that go on there, but at the same time, it's just hard to see. Um, this continues on, but I don't think I'll read, read the rest because it's not exciting. So... <laughs> Okay, here is a funny story. I wake up super tired and had to finish drawing out my shape trees for the kiddos. I was stressing about not having glue to do the projects. Oh, yes. Also, something really funny happened last night. Abigail said she was hungry, and I said she could eat whatever. She got excited and immediately said, I'm going to try the spaghetti and jam like you had. I was so confused because I had pasta with sauce, (laughs) but apparently she thought I had used jam. I laughed so hard. <laughs> so that night I was that was a that was a rough night. I had uh called my mom and dad and I was eating and I had ended up crying pretty hard and I was eating pasta and sauce and so she wasn't looking very closely at what I was doing because she was trying to give me some privacy. But apparently she thought that I was eating spaghetti with jam <laughs> and I just thought that was so funny. And she she didn't think anything of it because I'm an American and I eat weird things. So um, <laughs> that was pretty funny. Uh, uh, oh, I think it was Monday or Tuesday that Kelly and I went to the open market for some food, a frying pan, as mine was broken, and a kitchen towel. Mine went up in flames while Mary was making a cake. <laughs> One of the places we stopped was the shop owner was trying to get me to come meet her sons and said I was very beautiful. I simply laughed and politely refused. As we went to a few other shops, you could hear people calling Le Blanche, Le Blanche, which is white women in French. Many young men came to carry my bag, of course, wanting to be paid. I said no. Also, everywhere I go, I am constantly watched and called to. I miss being in America and going about my business without eyes on me. My Thursday went by very fast, and I was able to go home and rest. Did I mention that day Kelly and I went to the market? I went out to dinner with Uncle Ebenezer, Norbe, and Caleb. We picked up a white man who was talking at the pastor's conference, and we went to Pizza Hut. It was so nice to see and talk to another white. I see why all the people like to stop and 
and um, stare, but it doesn't make it any less uncomfy. So there are some stories. Um, quick note, I've thought about maybe typing this up and letting you guys maybe read it at some point if that's maybe something you guys want to do. It's just a thought. Um, I have things I need to add. I haven't written since I've gotten home. Um, just maybe thought about doing that. Okay, so I think I'm almost finished. So I'm going to play this video. And, yeah. And then you guys can ask maybe some questions at the end, Pastor Randy. If you want to ask questions at the end of service completely. Or... Okay, so... Let's go ahead and do the questions now, then. If anybody has questions. Students, there are 93 students. There are 73 neurotypical, so about 20 neurodiverse. Um, like I said, I was teaching the neurodiverse three times a week. So I had 20 of those. On on Mondays alone, I was seeing 85 of the students on Monday alone. So very, very busy day. Um, with the neurodiverse, yes. Um, the other students, no. It's just me. So any other questions? Yeah, we're still wondering if your friend made spaghetti and jam. <laughs> I did not allow her to do that. I actually thought about letting her, like, yeah, go ahead. But I, I was nice, and I said, I actually had pasta and sauce. You may have pasta and sauce. <laughs> <laughs> it was quite funny, yes. Do, do the teachers get paid? Uh, yes, they do get paid. Um, they get paid monthly. Um, this month, they are running low on funds, and so their paycheck is delayed. So prayers that um, donations or some sort of funding would come through for that. Um, not every month, but money, money as of right now is tight. Like, it's been tight in the past, but I think money right now is very, very tight, like the worst it's been. So, Yep. Yeah, 30 teachers times 10,000, 300,000, is that right? Or is that three? All 30? Okay, yep. Any other questions? Okay, so church fellowship, I went to three different churches. I went to a Presbyterian church that was um, a motorcycle riding down the road. That was a very large church. It was two stories, um, two services, 400 seats, um, four different choirs, cameras, screens, the whole dealio. Um, it was pretty neat, I would say, um, a lot like our services here, the pastor was very much in the Word of God and preaching from there. So I really appreciated that. Um, I didn't have much time of fellowship there. The church is so big. I find myself very uncomfortable in very large settings such as that. 
um, especially since I stood out. My first Sunday there, they actually asked for all of the visitors to stand who had signed their name in the guest book. I had arrived late and did not know there was a guest book, so I did not sign my name. And so everyone clearly knew I was there, and when I didn't stand when they asked people who had signed their name to stand, they again said... If anyone did not sign the guest book, would you please stand? And so I had to awkwardly stand up, and these uh, cameras zoomed in right on my face and on the screens, and it was very, very awkward and uncomfortable. <laughs> um, but yeah, so the fellowship there, I didn't have much of, but I did. I was fed by the Word of God, and that was that was very nice. Um, the singing was beautiful, um, very westernized there. They do have churches where they do sing cultural songs, but a lot of the time they do end up just singing your regular hymns and worship songs. Um, Africa, is way, especially in the cities, is way more westernized than you would think. I think just like us Americans, we have assumptions of what they are like over there. They all, in turn, have a lot of assumptions of what we're like. Um, so, <laughs> yes, spaghetti and jam. Um the other church I went to, I went to a Catholic church once to see what it was about. Never been to a Catholic church. Kelly goes, um, who I grew close to, went to the Catholic church. Several of the teachers go to this Catholic church. It was again very, very large. Um, a lot of reading from the Bible. Different, not for me. Um, <laughs> hmm. Oh, they do. They do have the. Um, no, they don't. It's um, pretty open. They're pretty open to religion there. Um, and then the very last church I went to was in Yaoundé, um, which is over closer to the farm. And it was the church I enjoyed going to the most. It was small. It had a dirt floor, no backs on the pews. Um, it was very sweet. Um, very small, close fellowship, but man, they can preach, <laughs> and they can dig at your heart. Um, one, uh, Uncle Hillary, Uncle Hill, which they spoke about, he was able to preach, and he was talking about how Jesus was naked and naked on the cross, and how he was stripped of everything, even his clothes, his dignity, and how um, how he was basically just naked and had all his shame and everything was just out there. And he's like, are you prepared to give your everything? Clear all your rooms, um, giving everything. And I think for me at that point, it was like, did I give my everything? Um, just really causing me to search there when I went to the, to the church and listened to the sermons. So really appreciated that church a lot. Um, so yeah, that was church life. And then, of course, I got to listen to sermons online from this church. So Izzy, we need to thank Izzy for that and our sound guys because it meant a whole bunch to have that access. So any other questions? They're mostly bilingual. So you have you have just English speakers, and then you have just French speakers, and then you have people who do a little bit of both. Um, I will say the church, the big church I went to, the Presbyterian, was English. The Catholic was also English. And the church in Yaoundé was primarily French. But when I was there, they had a translator, and they would translate to me in English. 
So um, just students are mostly English. You have a few kids there who are from French homes, and so they will learn French uh, English at the school. So all classes are taught in English, and so the kids just have to learn it. <laughs> that's that's the option. They do have French class there. So all kids do learn French, um, but English is the main. Yes, um, most people in the market, they all speak French. So I pretty much couldn't go there alone because I don't know how to ask for the things I need in French, clearly. So, yeah, mostly at school English, but everywhere else is pretty much French, and people can speak a little bit of both. So language barrier was tough. And then, of course, you have all those really thick accents, and then they also mumble a lot, so you can't really hear what they're saying. <laughs> so, yeah. Okay, is that all the questions? Okay, if so, you guys can hit me up afterwards, I guess. I think that's a phrase people say. And I'll play this last video. Three long months ago, I left my family, friends, and home behind. Why? To be honest, I didn't really want to come. My life was ideal. I had a great education, a car, a savings, and a whole community of people around me. I had a lot going for me, so why should I leave? A while back, when the proprietor Ernest Ahabe was holding a Bread for Life banquet, I had foolishly thrown out the idea of coming back to Cameroon. As most of us well know, the proprietor doesn't turn down an offer, no matter how small. He quickly began to share with his administration and small gatherings about how I was going to be coming to Cameroon, that I, Madison Bickle, aged 17, was going to be an art teacher, that I was going to be there for a year. Yes, me and my young, insecure self. I couldn't believe what I had gotten myself into. I definitely couldn't back out now. Not after all these people knew, what would they think? Plans moved forward as plane tickets were purchased Yellow fever shots were taken, visas were applied for, and money after money was spent in an effort to get to Cameroon. The time soon came for me to say my goodbyes to friends and family. Let me tell you, this was the hardest thing I have ever done in my life. Some of you may think that this is very petty, and well, I can see how it looks that way. Something I don't share often with people is the fact that I was adopted. When I was three, I was taken by the U.S. government and put through foster care for four years. At seven years old, my mother came to see me. I remember sitting in her lap, excited to see her as she stiffly sat on the couch. Silence accompanied our 30-minute visit per usual until our time was up. She slowly looked me in the eye and mumbled, I'm not your mother anymore. I didn't understand. What? I asked. How could she not be my mother? I don't want you anymore, she said. And with that, she started to pull away. I reached to grasp around her neck, not wanting to let go, not understanding what she was saying, scared of what was happening. Tears streamed down my face as she walked out the door to her old beat up Toyota. Did she wave one last time goodbye? Did she even look back? If she did, I couldn't see through my stinging tears. Could she see how lost I was? 
I may have only been seven, but at seven years old, I felt like I could have died. What did I do wrong? Why didn't she want me? Why didn't she want me? Why didn't she want me? That question stayed with me for years. Even till now, I still struggle with separation anxiety and the feeling of not being accepted by those around me. I feel like no matter what I do, I can't be loved or cherished, and that I will never be good enough. Not for you, not for me, not for anyone. All that to say, moving to Cameroon wasn't easy. Seeing my parents leave me wasn't easy. And trying to fulfill a job I didn't feel qualified for definitely wasn't easy. But even with all of this insecurity and fear, I have never felt more at home. I feel like I can finally be myself. I thank God that I didn't hold my tongue at that banquet. In fact, I praise him that Brother Ernest so excitingly took me without hesitation. There were so many times it felt like I just couldn't handle being here anymore. But then I stop and just listen. I know that I can do all things in Christ. It isn't easy, it's draining, stressful, and frustrating. But it is also beautiful. Seeing a child's face light up with understanding is something I wouldn't trade anything for. Their hugs and smiles are constant reminders that what I am doing is making a difference in their lives, just like how my adoptive parents made a difference in mine. So no matter how hard the days are or how little I think I've accomplished, I know that in the end, it's not about me. It's about not only the neurodiverse kids, but it's also about the neurotypical kids. And it's also about you. And it's about the people I pass on the street. It's about every person in the world who deserves to be loved for who they are, no matter what they've done or what they may become. We are created in the image of a holy and mighty God. And Jesus came down and died on that cross for everyone because he loves everyone. And because he loves me, I am accepted by him and that's all that matters. And yes, bad things happen. That's a fact. And I can either choose to focus on that bad or use that bad thing that's happened in my life for good. You also have a choice. You have such an impact on the people around you. Just one sentence can change a person's world forever, whether it be good or bad. So what is your story? Don't be afraid to share it, to stand up, and to say something that you see there needs to be a change. You don't have to go to a different country or continent. You can start right where you are, impacting the lives around you. Love one another. Be kind to one another. And remember that we are all people. We make mistakes. Forgive. So three, not so long months ago, I made a new family, new friends, and a new home. Where my education didn't matter, I didn't need a car, and I learned to do without. I know that as long as I'm willing to love, I will be loved. So why should I leave? Because no matter where I am, God is working in me and through me. As long as he is holding on to me and I to him, that is enough.